and welcome to Big Gay Energy. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Theora. Come along with us while we dive into the fun and nuances of queer media. Representation matters. And we're here to talk about it. Cheers, queers. We are back with another super fun interview. Today, we are talking to Neil Floyd. Neil was the set director for Red, White, and Royal Blue, and we cannot wait to get to know him and his job better. Welcome to the podcast, Neil. Thanks for having me. He was the set decorator. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So, oh yes, I guess that's important. Sorry, everyone. I wanted to keep it mysterious. Close close enough, close enough. You you said director, and I just wanted to make sure. Uh, I was like, I'll keep it. I'll take it. I'll take it. It's fine. Okay. But the first question actually is, what does a set decorator do? Uh, basic answer would be decorates the set, um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's in the title. But it's really, it's um, the production designer who on this was Mirren, and you work uh, under this the production designer. So it's all the creative departments. And the production designer is sort of the overall vision of the film. And then each of our departments, like set decorator, prop master, uh, supervising art director, uh, we all kind of then take our category uh, and sort of own that and make it all come together, really. So we deal with sort of, if we're on a location, redressing the location to look like what we want it to be, or if it's a set from scratch uh, down to, you know, the sort of small details, like even, you know, if it's a set, there's nothing there. So you have to do down to light switches, up to sofas to elaborate whatever it is actually. So you kind of, you, it, it, every set is different. So our job is is very random, but fulfilling because you kind of, it always changes up. I remember visiting a set and they were like, even the doorknobs get changed for every single thing. Door <laughs> furniture is my least favorite department uh, that we deal with. Uh, and I always have someone on this, it was Chin and she was amazing. And I was just like, just do the doors. And because it's always a thing. Uh, even the White House and this, the door handles were very important. Uh, Heather Noble, who's the art director, she did that set, the, the White House sets. Uh, and to get it exactly like the White House, actually, that door furniture is a thing. Uh, and if you don't notice it, we did our job sort of thing. That's how you have to look at it. Oh, it's That's such amazing. small details. Yeah. yeah. Annoying details, I won't lie, <laughs> but it actually, when you find the right piece down to the doorknob, uh, it actually is fulfilling because you're like, okay, it actually looks right, you know. If you just put your regular apartment door handle on an Oval Office door, uh, I think we'd be called out on that one, you know. Yeah, I think that'd be a little weird, so... Thank you for paying attention to every single detail that yeah. brought this beautiful movie to life. Thank you. Um, we are wondering, though, how did you, just in general, how did you get started in the entertainment industry? And then how did you end up on the Red, White, and Royal Blue movie? Um, I started about 20, almost 18 years ago, I think it was, uh, as an office PA in Toronto. Uh, and then I went to film school at Humber College in Toronto. Uh, and then I just kind of worked my way through of where I wanted to go. Uh, so I started as an office PA and then moved t- into art department because I liked art department uh, and was an art PA. And then it was either 
graphics or drafting is kind of the two routes you go. And I really liked graphics. So I studied graphics uh, at night and then became an assistant graphic designer and then a graphic designer. Uh, and then I moved to London about 13 years ago and started pretty much had to start again in a weird way because no one knows you, you know, it's all about, it's all about connections and what films you worked on and they don't know the names. They don't know the, the films I worked on. No one's heard of Cry, Cry the Owl in England. Uh, so it was a bit of a challenge. And then I finally got a job on Gravity as a, a graphic designer. And then from there, I was able to get into the British system. Uh, and then I worked as a graphic designer for about five years. Uh, and then decided to finally go into set deck. And then um, I was doing Guy Ritchie films at the time. And we were doing the gentleman reshoots. And then that's where I kind of, I did graphics on the film and then the reshoots did set deck. Uh, and then that's kind of where the transition happened. And then from there on, I just started with set deck and became a set decorator. Uh, and it's, it's been great. And it's it's been about five years now, I guess. We did this film two years ago, I think. Wow, that is quite a journey. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you just keep on growing though, because that's what film's yeah. about. You just keep on sort of developing and moving on and changing genres or yeah it's kind of the fun bit about it you know You're not what pitching. did you do uh when you were like doing graphics yeah uh graphics it was the physical graphics um mostly physical graphics uh when you watch a film if the character's reading a book and it's not a real book or down to restaurant signage or street signage um uh an example of graphics I've done, uh, Ready Player One, like the IOI logo and Gregarious Games and things like that. Um, all the posters for within that film, uh, the visual effects, they do, they have a graphics team. And then the actual physical film always has a graphic designer and a now graphics team, uh, really, because there's a lot more graphics storytelling, you know, down to period things like typing letters, things like that. On The Crown, um, that was sort of like, uh, the red box and all of the letters that go back and forth in the crown uh, and then all the newspapers to read about what happens that kind of thing so you, you really get into storytelling with graphics that is really cool actually <laughs> for someone who doesn't like the details you sure work with details a lot yeah well we, i actually um, <laughs> i do like the details uh, okay <laughs> to be just not doorknobs it's just not door doorknobs that's my thing but uh <laughs> <laughs> detail has actually always been what like with graphics and set deck it's just it's two different types of detail right graphic mm -hmm, storytelling yeah. you're telling the details so this the audience can move on with the story and sort of figure out oh, okay that's what's happening you know he's guilty of etc uh while set dressing details are about sorry that's my podcast interview saying i'm interviewing with you um <laughs> <laughs> but the set decorating details are more uh about the character so if you're if you're doing the room if it's someone's bedroom or their personal space uh it's how you fill it with them you know with their colors and with their patterns and their their heritage whatever it is um whether it be royal or if it's you know a mexican background as a family you, you have to pick the right fabrics and patterns and textiles and sort of picture frames and things like that anything that makes you feel like the character down to action props which are the backpacks the you know notebooks everything like that so it's all very character driven details 
cool. Um, I'm just curious, like, why did you decide to go, like, I know you talked about your journey, but like yeah. going from the graphics to like physical set decorating. Uh, I just, I, I just wanted to work more with the overall picture, even though they both are this in the same uh, departments, really, you know, so like graphics works with art department, set deck props and set deck deals with props, graphics, art department, you know, and then lighting and other, other departments. So it's just a different way of, I guess, just sort of, I don't know, really, I just really loved the overall sets. Like I love filling an entire room, you know, and as graphics are like a single part of it, while set deck, you sort of get to expand more and you get to sort of pick out a bit more detail and a bit more about what's going on. Um, so it's just always a really, it's another creative venue, you know, I, 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 that and sort of production design areas, that's where you kind of can really dig your teeth into something. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> when you are working on creating a set, we, yeah. we were wondering, where do you like acquire the objects, I guess you need to build the set? And then what happens with them at the end of the movie, like when you're done with production? Um, well, most of the stuff comes from prop houses is our, is the, the go-to really at first because you can rent them uh, because it is expensive to buy everything. Um, so usually we go to prop houses first to see what we can find. And then if there's something specific that we can't or we just want something in a different light, then you start buying it. So you can go online, going on Vinterior is a great website now uh, that you can buy furniture from all across Europe um, and other, other websites or any stores in London. We have a lot of, London's very catered to film nowadays. Uh, we have, we have specific people that deal with drapes. Uh, you know, we have lighting, anything you can really think of. We also have model makers, like a huge model making um, departments here that you can just sort of farm out like sort of like the cake, you know, um, <laughs> and get things made that you can't buy in the store. Um, and then at the end of the show, uh, usually films hold everything until we do reshoots. Uh, and then after the reshoots, then it's up to the production what they want to do uh, with the assets. So usually we keep them all until that point, shoot it, and then the studio figures out what to do. Uh, sometimes they sell it, they sell it. Uh, sometimes they give it to charity. Um, sometimes we end up with certain objects, like if you ask the production, you know, uh, if you could have something. <laughs> there is a light behind me that I'm looking at right now, and it's the light from the from the White House living room. <laughs> cool. <laughs> it is quite funny that is right above your heads. Yeah. <laughs> Have you had to deal with like anybody stealing stuff before reshoots got done, and you needed it? Um, all the time, uh, but. <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> Hence the light that's in my living room. Um, <laughs> It happens, but when reshoots happen, I'm actually doing reshoots on another film starting in January, and we are missing things. So you just have to refine them or rebuild them or remake them, and then hopefully the reshoots aren't always uh, as gigantic as the film is. Like when you went up your sets, sometimes it's just sort of yeah. close up to things or parts they missed. 
what if you're like you can't replace like, is there anything like you wouldn't be there able to replace? Has, yeah that has happened uh on a research I did before we didn't have the table we filmed the film in turkey uh and then we had to do the reshoots in london and we couldn't get the furniture uh so it was it was very tight close-ups of things um and it actually worked in the film like it, it was just because they always do that that one was sort of it was a button that she presses there was something or she a recording device she sticks to the bottom of the table and so they needed the table to do that and okay. we couldn't do it so we found something similar and you just there's a bit of film magic about it. Yeah. That's a very creative solution <laughs> to a very complicated problem. <laughs> Speaking of creative solutions, uh, so Red, White, and Royal Blue contains historical landmarks like the Oval Office and the V&A. Like, what research did you have to do when recreating these iconic settings? Unless uh, you well, just like shut down these places for the day and film there. <laughs> uh, we did for the V&A. Uh, <laughs> Oh. <laughs> yeah, they did. Uh, so we have a locations manager as well. And then the production designer, they decide together what's a location, what's a set, how we can do it. Uh, and then we sort of use all of our research we can. Uh, with this show, it was really great because the fans created so much concept art online. Um, and we had it plastered around the set deck art department because oh. it actually was spot on to what we were trying to recreate. Um, and then we have our concept people as well. Uh, and then the research for something like the Oval Office, it's, you know, you research every other TV show or film that's done it and try to figure out how can we make it a bit different. And sometimes it doesn't look that great, like in real life, you know, like if you look at all the presidents, some of it is really terrible. Joe Biden's Oval Office is really bright colors. Um, <laughs> compared to hers, you know, like, uh, it, we weren't going down that route. Um, no. Barack Obama, when he was president, um, he, there's a book by the interior designer that did the whole, did the whole White House at the time. Uh, and that was actually one of our key research books, Aww. uh, because it was really beautiful colors and it was sort of, it just worked really well. And there was a feminine touch to it as well. Um, you really see the family value throughout the entire place. Um, so a lot of the colors came from there and like sort of the ideas. And then, you know, Mirren had had specific colors that she wanted to use uh, in the Oval Office, um, having a female president uh, and sort of showing their heritage as well. And sort of how to sort of get that across without being in such a male dominated uh, room the Oval Office in particular, like the house, you can kind of do whatever you want in a way, because if you look at the Obama's book, they did, they painted the rooms all different colors, you know, and had fun wallpaper and the kids' bedrooms were really creative and fun. It wasn't um, sort of stark office walls uh, in the living quarters. Um, something if, like House of Cards is another good show to watch for how they did the White House. It's just kind of very sophisticated looking, especially when she, when Robin Wright Penn, when she became um, president. And then, so yeah, we just sort of worked from that. And that's how you kind of deal with something like the Oval Office or the White House. And then the V&A actually was the V&A. Uh, there was no way around it. Uh, we did think at one point to film somewhere else, but it would just be so difficult. Um, one, for us to find enough statues to fill a place to make it feel like a museum. like it it would just sort of look naff in a way like 
you, the, the V&A is the V&A. And because it is in the book, it was quite nice to actually film at the real thing. So they closed it down at nighttime uh, and they filmed, I think we filmed on a Saturday night uh, and it was just till 5 a.m. Uh, so it was a really short turnaround, but it was, I think it's worth it for the film. There's a lot of production value <laughs> with it. Oh, for sure. And that must be a nice space too. Cause it's, it's big and like, you can facilitate like filming, which is not always the case with like yeah. historical buildings. Yeah. We didn't have to do anything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we did not bring one thing in there. I think we brought a podium for the phone to sit on. Uh, so you play the music and yeah. everything else was the VNA is the VNA. Yeah. That's lovely. So you've talked a little bit about this um, during the interview, but when it we want to, I want to ask about like characters' personal spaces because we we talk about this on the podcast when we like look at pieces of media, and usually the space is very reflective of the character's personality, yeah. like you were saying. So, where we wanted to know um, what was your process for designing Henry and Alex's rooms specifically? Um, well, with them, to be fair, because we have the book, uh, we really use the book as a bible. Um, and we tried to get as much out of the book that wasn't on the paper uh, and in the script uh, that we could try to get into the rooms uh, because there were so many specific things like music is a big deal in the book, yes. you know, between each character. Uh, and in the film, there's really no way to show it other than if they put it in the soundtrack, you know. Um, so something like Alex's room, um, Miran wanted to like sort of have a... a a record area for Al for Alex and then have some records on the wall. So with that, um, Casey, the writer actually put together a list for us of Aww. all the albums that Alex would like. So it wasn't just the ones from the book. Um, it was a quite a, quite a extensive list. And then we just sort of went through clearance and saw what could clear. And we were able to get things like, I think Elton John's on there, um, Frank Ocean, um, and a couple others. I can't remember the other ones off offhand. And you can sort of see it in the room. And then in Henry's room, uh, we wanted to sort of, Mirren's big thing was about to show the difference between Alex and Henry. So Alex is very Americana with the blues and reds. And then Henry being traditional was sort of the, the greens and wood tones and sort of keeping that, that old look of the old English look compared to the modern American. Um, and we were able to do that subtly with the locations and sets, but at the same time, we were able to sort of bring in their young personalities. So Henry had a lot of framed art on his wall and it was things from the book sort of, you know, like he had uh, Freddie Mercury on there, David Bowie, Oscar Wilde poem. Um, and then all of the books that they read that are sort of on their bedside tables, we got them just to clear them. So if in the moment they ever wanted to pick up a book, it was actually the books that are referenced from the, uh, from the actual novel. So you kind of, I that's how you that. kind of make it. There's one piece in Henry's room that I love, so kudos. Uh, on his, like framing his bed are these like oil dog paintings in like yeah. these like <laughs> military outfits. That was the cutest thing ever. Yeah, the one so dog funny. is actually Matthew's dog, uh, director. No way. <laughs> I love that so much. Thank yeah. you for that. I love that piece. 
Yeah, with the art, the artwork too, though. Yeah, yeah, all the artwork in his room too. We tried to get things that were specific from uh, the book as well. I love that. Yeah. Do you have a favorite set from the movie? Um, there are a couple that stand out on... I really loved the tack room, even though it was only part of the montage during the polo. Uh, yeah. It actually was a really fun set to do. Uh, and we actually had a lot of fun with it because it was sort of subliminal because we had so much leather in there. So there's a there's a really rough sexiness to that room. Um, so it kind of worked. That was quite fun. Um, I think anything to do with Kensington Palace was, was great. You know, Henry's bedroom was, was a lot of fun. And... Mirren really put her heart in that one, so she really wanted the detail. Um, and so we were just trying to find the right pieces, and we refabriced a lot of furniture for that. Um, all the drapes were made. Um, it's this house called Summerlee, and it's where, like, sort of the crown films there, a lot of people do. And we really changed the entire place. Like, we used every room as everything. So that kind of was our favorite location because there were so many sets within this one house and you'd never know. Like we did uh, Buckingham Palace in the reception room where they have their call, where they have their meeting before he goes on the balcony. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that long hallway that was done there. And Henry's bedroom was an extension built on another room. And actually that room is when, uh, when they find out and is in the papers and everyone's huddled in those two rooms that actually is the dining room sort of music room, which is the yellow room. Uh, The music room's attached to this other room and we actually then flipped it to be Henry's room later on. Uh, So it was like, there's all these different things. And then upstairs was the red room from the White House, uh, the Paris bedroom, the interview room, um, where they sort of do the horse and hound thing. Um, That one, that's the weird part. No one, got that in all of the Twitter that I've seen for the entire film about every detail in the film, I guess it's because we just kind of made it up. It wasn't part of the book, but we decided the interview room could be an homage to Richard Curtis for who wrote all the romantic comedies of our, you know, the past 20 years. And that was our nod to Notting Hill because in Notting Hill, Julie Roberts was the American and Hugh Grant was the Brit. And they sort of, do the whole interview thing with horse and hound so we actually rented the exact same furniture um i got all the same the couches the sofa is different because the one that julia roberts was on was a bit smaller and for the two boys size we couldn't fit them on the sofa yeah so we got, <laughs> we got a different sofa but the coffee table everything the flower arrangements they were done by our florist who knew the original florist who did notting hill so we did this whole thing so that was kind of our fun cheeky little set because we wanted to see, oh, would anyone get it? But it was an homage to, you know, classic rom-coms from our days. And now we were doing a gay version. So it was great. I love that so much. (laughs) That's so beautiful. I had no idea. Yeah, when you watch it back, you're like, oh, yeah. Well, now I have an excuse to watch it again. Thank you, Neil. (laughs) We even put put horses on the wall, too. (laughs) Okay, yes. Uh, okay, so speaking of like iconic things in the movie, one of the most iconic moments I would think most people would agree is the wedding cake scene. Uh, were you part of like 
like creating slash finding that wedding cake for the yeah so with the wedding cake it was a prop make um so we had our prop makes uh craig nairmore and his uh, company make it um and it was a lot of trial and error uh miran sort of had the idea of how large it would be and then it was trying to make it realistic like how can we make it happen and then rachel my buyer was sort of really loves prop makes so she sort of took that on um, and was the spearhead between everyone. And then we got all those pieces for, it was kind of based on Will and Kate's wedding cake. Um, that's kind of the thing about it. Uh, the hard part is when it falls, it's supposed to be more of a buttercream cake. But if you have a wedding cake, it's always that hard rock style, you know? Mm-hmm, you yeah. have a buttercream cake that large, it'd be weird. Um, so that is where the realism was an issue. So then we decided, no, stick with the original look of a traditional wedding cake with a smooth exterior. And then each layer was its own piece. Um, and it was all made of fo- like sort of a, a foam and then sort of um, none of it was edible. And then what we did was we had a home ec, uh person and she made all buttercream. Uh, and pieces and slabs of cake. And then on the day, Mirren and her and whoever else was there, the prop people, then they sort of threw the cake at them. Um, But the actual falling of the cake is actually, was one large gigantic cake. Uh, That was sort of, yeah, it it was a bit, it was very complicated. And then even with, we were filming that at a location, so the cake can't get on the carpet of the actual location. Biggest issue of, more than how it fell was don't touch the carpet. So we actually then printed a large red carpet that's there in the shot. And we did three of those just in, so we could flip it in and out, but they didn't actually have to. Wow. Um, they, it actually ended up being quite clean when they did it. And then the table was um, electronic as well. So the table we built uh, to have a mechanism that special effects could then teeter it uh, and then with that and the fabric that was around the table, they we'd resets of that as well. So it was a lot. It's a lot more going on than you actually think it is when you watch it because it's two seconds in the film, but it is the opening and the most talked about part of the film. That is the most intricate thing I've ever heard for a cake falling. Yeah. Like there's so many just steps and details that goes into that that like movie magic. I, like, was, on, I was on a ladder yeah. pinning the top of it because all those little the sort of flowers on the outside are fake and then oh they're God, put yeah. on top on it was a whole thing yeah it came out beautiful in the end like the whole thing <laughs> and I, to be fair i was really worried when we did it and i was like oh i don't know how that's gonna work and then when you're watching the film it's like oh actually it worked really well um just the right angles of the cake you know so we were curious in the movie they mentioned that this cake that falls on them is like $75,000. Did the cake cost anywhere near $75,000? American, if I convert it? Yeah. Almost. Dang. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right, so the realism. (laughs) Oh yeah, realism is the ironic part to get it all made and the extra pieces and things when we actually put the entire bill together, it's not far off. I won't lie. <laughs> and then who who cleans up after the cake falls uh, on everyone? <laughs> all of our prop guys, they all did it. Uh, and the good part was it fell onto our carpet. 
carpet. And I was like, throw away the carpet. It's fine. We have two others. So it was, <laughs> oh, okay, it was, that's helpful. That is yeah, helpful, actually. It worked out pretty. It was pretty clean, you know. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I always feel bad for like the people. You watch these elaborate scenes, and then like yes. someone has to clean all that up. <laughs> but we tried to. We made it. That, I think that's why that one worked out well because it was our own carpet. If it wasn't our carpet, it would have taken a lot more to clean up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay, so I. We asked our Patreon subscribers if they had any questions. And so we had people just submit, and here's a few of them. Uh, so was the lampshade in the Paris Hotel purposefully askew? Um, possibly. I know it was because I actually just looked at my set photos to try to remember what we did <laughs> before <laughs> I came on. Uh, and it was, and I don't know if that was just because it could have been because on that day it was a closed set, obviously. Um, so we dressed it fully and then walked out the room. And then to be fair, even that room so tiny, you can only fit a camera and two people anyway. Um, so whatever they did during that scene, we actually didn't know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I, I think there was like things like that are put on purpose. You know, it is messy in the way it was, you know, the lube on the side, everything was there for a purpose. All right. Speaking of rooms that are small, yeah. uh, our Patreon wanted to know if the closet in the hospital was really too small for the both of them. Um, no, they could fit in there. I did. <laughs> Me and one of the prop guys, we actually sat in it when we dressed it to make sure. Uh, so I have a picture of us, which is quite cute, uh, doing that um, scene just to see if we could fit and squeeze in. Um, it is quite, it, it's actually a set. It's a set piece that we did. So it had to be a little bit wider to actually fit the camera and them. Um, and then on the day they push things in a bit. So it looks a bit more. Yeah. The magic is ruined. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it was so tiny. You couldn't fit a camera in there. <laughs> it's like, it's amazing. We even see it, saw it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you filmed this movie in like the summer ish, right? Yeah. Uh, it was, how... uh... Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Uh, how did you portray winter at night? Oh, for the White House. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was done in a park, and we had snow uh, snow business as a company here, oh. uh, and they covered it all in snow, uh, in fake snow. So oh, wow. that's how we did that. Yeah, it's it's quite it's a beautiful effect, and they do it really fast, uh, sort of right before camera. Uh, because the rain, if it rains, it does get a bit messy. Yeah. Um, and just sort of washes away. Uh, but yeah, that's how we were able to do it. We did, I did, we did film this last, not last summer, the summer before. Um, and we had to get all those seasons in. So there's a little bit of, and yeah. Uh, okay. Last question from the patron. Uh, what, so there's a there's a scene where where Alex like storms the castle and Henry is like reading a book, uh, mm -hmm. and the Patreon member wanted to know what do you know what book Henry was reading? Like I guess it was one from his bedside table. It was yeah, that was one from his bedside table. Uh, that I wonder if that was David 
that could have been great expectations, but that's what he was reading in the park scene when sort of the, when Alex uh, jogs by and he's not actually there during the text, uh, the text scenes. Mm-hmm. That was great expectations. I can't remember which one it was that he was reading one of the ones from uh, the book though. It was one of his top okay. ones. Yeah. Yeah. I just, sorry. I can't remember what it was. No, that's okay. <laughs> Very small it, detail. Like, no, well, apparently there were a lot way. of books and things that were like on a list. Yeah, we really tried because, you know, so much changes when you make a film because it's totally. it's two hours, you know, a book. How long does it take you to read a book? Um, and something like this was so dense and yes. there was so much in it. And there's, to be fair, there's more characters as well in the book mm-hmm. um, and different characters. So it was a, we were really trying to bring as much of that in as we could. There's a lot that you probably will never see that we did like that. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, we do it because if the camera picks it up or if on the day they see it or want to, um, then it's there for the fans really of the book. And I was a fan of the book, so. That's too. Yeah. <laughs> so you've read the book before you even like got the the, before you started working on the movie? Uh, yeah, my the producer, Michael Constable, we did a film before together, um, before this. And then he texted me saying he was doing this film. Uh, had I read the book? And at that time I didn't read the book. And I told my friend Amy in Toronto and she was like, oh my God, you have to read the book. So <laughs> I read it that weekend. Like I, I didn't do anything. I just read the book. Um, and then I said to him, I need to work on this uh, no matter what. Uh, and they didn't have a production designer at the point yet. So it was my likelihood of working on it. I still have to get hired by the designer. Uh, and then thankfully he hired Mirren and she's uh, a friend of my agent as well. So there was a trust there. And then we met up and we totally got along. We, we've known each other forever. Uh, so it was perfect. Uh, and then it was just, it was just great to work on something that I loved reading as well and sort of, you know, a, a gay story that I haven't, I've never worked on a gay film before and I've worked in film for 18 years. Uh, it's so it was quite a moment for myself even, you know, like yeah. it was a bit, a bit personal because growing up, I'm 42. I know you're both younger than I am. Uh, but, <laughs> but when I was growing up, you know, we had Brokeback Mountain, you know, that was the, or Philadelphia, you know, there was always one film and it was, it was a very hard gay film. And then so nowadays with like Heartstoppers and everything, it's been, it's just fantastic to see. And so when this happened, it was great to finally work on a project where it was two guys that were in love, you know? Um, so it meant a lot. So I, I wanted to make sure that it was done right. You know? uh, we very much appreciate that. And yes. that's why we have this podcast is to yeah. bring attention to that. Cause we also just talked about Heartstopper. <laughs> Which is amazing. I love it. You know. Uh, yes, positive representation. That's like happy. Yeah. We're allowed oh, to be was, happy. It was very depressing growing up when you saw the. Yes. Or it was I a sign. Now it's actually quite nice to see every type of relationship, and it's not a statement piece. It's just sort of correct a normal part of life now. So it's it's quite beautiful to see. And I think that's why this film, maybe, maybe that's why this film connected so well with people, you know, because it's fun. It's, it's lighthearted. There's a bit of, you know, drama in it and there's a lot of different emotions, but it is quite fun at the end of the day. And it's, 
it's done really well, I think. You know? It definitely is. Agreed. <laughs> um, I noticed that you've worked in a lot of different countries. And yeah. like, what has been your favorite country to work in and or visit? Uh, they're all very different. Um, I just worked in Greece this year. And I actually, to be fair, I loved working there. Uh, it's quite nice and hot. <laughs> it's right, as you can see, <laughs> London right now, it's five o'clock and it's dark. Um, <laughs> but uh, Greece was fun. Uh, Turkey was amazing. Um, I loved Budapest. Uh, Lithuania was great. Um, every, I, I really do love traveling and working. So it's nice to stay at home in London. London London's been my home now for a while. Um, but it is quite nice to travel. Uh, and because you get to work with different people and sort of figure out the kinks of what works, what doesn't work, what translate, what doesn't translate. Um, it's quite, it's quite fun, to be honest. It definitely sounds fun. Um, does your experience like working in different countries, being exposed to different cultures, does that help or influence your job at all? Like kind of how you approach your job in any way? Yeah, I think it does because it's you, it's with whatever you do, it's managing a team or expectations or how to get things done. Um, there's certain things that we do here in England that are a different system to like the American system. Uh, the prop master is completely different than it's a standby props here. So it's a, it's a very, very different. Um, but there's different practices in each country that benefit each other so i've you know you take some good and some bad uh and say no that doesn't work at all don't do it that way um this works better uh and then sometimes it doesn't uh just because their system's different you know like prop houses are completely different in every country i've been to you know in turkey we would go into random stores but it'd be a street full of lights like every single um store on the street is lighting and you can go in and rent any any light from any any store, and then they sell it later on to customers. So it's like stores do that in every country. They do that here as well. You know, we can get that's how you get some really nice value items. Um, yeah. Like the Chelsea Design Center in London, and it's amazing because it's all like the high end shops, but they rent out a lot of their showroom stuff, um, which gives them exposure, and then they can make some money on the side really but uh mm -hmm. it, it's great and it's you, you you're allowed to find different things because if you go to the same prop house every single time you'll use the same sofa like to be fair there is a so uh, calling myself out but i did do that on purpose in this film uh the sofa they sit on in front of the king um that was used in the crown season one and cool. in one of the crown i was graphics and celia bobak was the set decorator and she's kind of been my set deck mother uh over the years so i did rent that knowing that she used it in the crown and that whole set because i was like i wanted to say this was me moving into set deck from being under mum back then you know that's really cute. That is so cute. <laughs> I can't even. You just made the movie even cuter. I know. <laughs> I don't think I told the designer that either, but it's fine. Uh, <laughs> um, something that I love asking everyone is, do you have a dream project you want to work on one day? Um, I guess so, but it, I've worked on a lot of dream projects so far 
be fair. Like I've worked with a lot of people that I've always wanted to work with. Uh, and I just feel like you never know what the next project is going to be. I, you always want something that you can sink your teeth into really, uh, and have a bit of fun with. Um, no, I don't know if I have a, I, I, I would know it if I saw it, if that makes sense. It's it the people that, it's usually the people that are attached to it, you know, like the director you've always wanted to work with, um, or the lead actor or whoever it is. Usually it's the director, um, you want to work with to sort of get their vision or the production designer. Um, if I've loved what they've done, you know, those are all the questions we have that are serious for you. Yeah. Thank you for thoughtfully answering. Uh, at this point in the interview, we're going to do a very quick, like lightning round questions. We call the, okay. would you rather game section? <laughs> so okay. well, they're very quick. <laughs> all right. So first one, would you rather have an unlimited budget for set decoration, but a tight turnaround time, or a generous timeline with a limited budget? Um, uh, unlimited budget. I agree. Would you rather work on a film set that requires extensive research for authenticity, or one that allows more creative freedom for imagination? Uh, that's a tough one because I actually really love recreating uh, everything that I've done that has been a recreation has actually been a really lovely experience because you can really think it's like you're in school again. Yeah. It's like you're a kid, you know, and you get to learn about something that you never knew about. Like yeah. There's so many random true. facts you find out that you would never research. You just watch that. You just watch two hours of whatever it is. You know, and you wouldn't actually get to like dig deep. Yeah, like awesome. what doorknobs are at the Oval Office? <laughs> I would never know that. <laughs> oh, the doorknobs. Okay. <laughs> All right. Would you rather have to decorate an entire set using only items from the dollar store or have to incorporate glitter into every scene? The dollar store. There's so much good. But not a dollar store. The people yeah. that clean up the set would also probably appreciate yeah. that answer. <laughs> you don't have glitter everywhere? What? No. Everywhere. No, that's a mess. It's the worst. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Another weird one. Okay. Would you rather work on a film where every set is upside down? Or one where gravity only affects the characters, not the props. Oh, upside down. That would be fun. That would be fun. <laughs> that would be, that's, I never thought about that before in my life. Uh, that would be great. Yeah. I love it. It'd be really tricky to do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, would you rather have to create a set entirely out of recycled materials or design <laughs> sets for a film where everything is made of candy. Oh. The real, the the good answer would be everything recyclable would be great because we waste a lot. Um, but, but candy, wow, that'd be crazy. That would be, right? yeah, that would be quite fun actually. That would be the dream project, yeah. 
Candyland the movie. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, there you go. We figured it out. Okay, I have yet another weird question that has nothing to do with set design. Oh my god. Okay. Would you rather have to get the sex talk from President Claremont or King James? Uh, Claremont. Yeah. I really liked her. She'll make a PowerPoint. Yeah, I was about to say, she'll make a PowerPoint. (laughs) Yeah, I would have pizza with her, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, last one, we promise. Uh, Would you rather attend an award show where everyone gives acceptance speeches in interpretive dance or where winners are determined by a game of rock, paper, scissors? Oh, I love the rock, paper, scissors because I'd like to see people's reactions when they lose. They would be really upset. That, that would be so funny. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. That'd be like Squid Games when it came down to the end. And you're like, rock, paper, scissors? Right. Like, oh. yeah. uh, thank you for entertaining these yes. weird questions. Thank, I enjoy, I, yeah, never thought of them before. <laughs> Okay, so that wraps up all the questions that we have for you. Uh, before we sign off, do you have any final words for the listeners at home? Oh, I don't know. Um, no, just that it's been a great experience, this whole film, uh, and everything that's come with it afterwards. Uh, it's honestly, it's we, it was a lot of work, uh, and it was hard work. Um, we even had COVID thinged in the middle, and it was just, I've never worked that hard in such a short amount of time uh and not just me my team as well um but we were all thankful for it at the end because we actually tried to do justice to hopefully the fans would like it um at the end of the day it's not up to us behind the scenes you know we just sort of we try to make that world and then whatever they can create and put on camera uh is what you can do and i think they did a great job with the route they went down um it's really been fun to watch, really. Uh, so, yeah, it's been great. Uh, it has been great getting to know you and your job and everything. Uh, so thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah, uh, thank, to you. Every- thank you. To everyone at home listening, make sure to check out Red, White, and Royal Blue streaming on Amazon Prime. Yes. And until... <laughs> Until next time, everybody, hydrate for lesbian Jesus. And gay it up all over the place. Bye. 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 Nice meeting you. And with that, we've been Big Gay Energy. If you like this episode, check out all our other episodes on whatever you're using to listen right now. If you're listening on Apple, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review, no matter how brief. It helps us get into Apple's algorithm to reach a wider audience. Please feel free to reach out to us. We would love to hear from you about everything and anything. You can find us on all the social medias at Big Gay Energy Pod or email us at BigGayEnergyPod at gmail.com. If you'd like to make friends with other queer media loving people, reach out to us to join our Discord server. 
If you'd like to support us, check out our merch store or join our Patreon for early access to episodes, exclusive content, and so much more. Until next time, stay safe and hydrate for Lesbian Jesus.